0: and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day from the book of Romans for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage To decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Well, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I am so grateful to see you all there because the one thing that hasn't changed between being a professor and becoming now a pastor is the the number of emails I got for excused absences this Sunday. I was a little concerned that there would just be my family and me here today, but I'm glad, I'm very glad that you are here today. Uh, As we go, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And now, gracious God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together bring glory and honor to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. As I was prayerfully looking for what passage I would begin ministry with at McLean this week, it seemed almost self-evident. Not just because I could spend months in a sermon series on Genesis 1, although I could, um, though you'll probably be happy to know that I'm not, um, but because beginnings are important. First impressions are important. Uh, It's been said that a public speaker must work humor into the first five minutes of a speech or the audience won't believe they're funny anymore and respond later. The first words out of your mouth to your family in the morning or when you get home from work in the afternoon, will set the tone for the rest of the day or the evening. Um, a professor friend of mine wrote a book, Reading from the Beginning, in which she suggested that those first psalms in each of the books of psalms provide the interpretive lenses through which we read the rest of the book of psalms. So when I thought of first impressions and I thought of beginnings, I naturally found myself in Genesis 1. So here is where we first meet this God that we've been hearing so much about. Uh, It's here that we find God's mission statement. Here in this chapter, we find God's vision for the universe in general and for humanity in particular. What was God thinking? This is a question that I'm sure many of us have asked at one time or another. What was God thinking? Sometimes about mosquitoes. sometimes about daylight savings time. But here, what was God thinking is about the universe. What was God thinking about humanity? What did God have in mind for human beings and the rest of this universe? One interesting feature of the text of Genesis 1 is the number of connections it has to the way the rest of the world imagined creation took place. Genesis 1 has a number of echoes of those other ancient creation stories But it's not the similarities that are so significant to me as the differences when we think about them. And the differences are incredibly powerful. In Genesis 1, we don't find a God who's interested in showing off after some conquest. We don't find a violent God subjecting the universe to some twisted, bullying will. Creation is not a trophy that some God is trying to use to intimidate the other gods or humanity. And while the biblical story absolutely demonstrates the transcendence of God, what I find most interesting in Genesis 1 is the story actually contains an emphasis on God's humility. It's about a desire by the Almighty, the creator of all the universe, to dwell with that creation. Where all the other ancient creation stories are about how to keep the commoners, the riffraff, the hoi polloi, separate from the gods. Here in Genesis 1, we find a God who is setting up the universe like a temple. We find a God who wants to create a place where divine and human can meet. In Genesis 1, we meet a God who desperately desires to hang out with the creation. And throughout scripture, we will see this as one of God's definable personality traits. God desires to spend time with humanity. This is a radical idea in the ancient world. A God whose attitude is not defined by separation, but by fellowship. Well, shortly in this story, God is going to be walking with humanity in the garden in the cool of the day. Later, God will command Israel to build a tabernacle Because the presence of the divine will literally travel with the people. A portable God who wants to go camping. Who ever heard of such a thing in the ancient world? Gods lived on mountains. Gods separated from human beings. No, not the God of Israel. The God of Israel desired fellowship so much we even have the incarnation. Jesus Christ is about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. God finally meets that ultimate goal in Revelation. That's a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't gotten to the end of the story yet, sorry. But God's dwelling place is with the people directly in that new Jerusalem. God not only demonstrates humility and kindness in wanting to hang out with creation, but also it's a story about the Almighty, the creator of the universe, to trust this new creation to the creation. God makes a creation that isn't quite finished. The creation continues to create itself. Trees with seed after their kind, fruit after their kind, and then God trusts humanity to oversee this good creation. In the rest of the world, the gods wanted servants make life, their own lives easier. Human, human beings were created to serve the gods and give them a life of ease. But Genesis 1 comes along and says no. No, humanity aren't servants. Humanity bears the image of God. All of humanity bears the image of God. Not just kings, not just priests, not just men, not just women. All of humanity bears the divine image. All of humanity can live creatively in this world. And if that honor wasn't enough, all of humanity bears a royal responsibility. Overseeing this creation is a royal stewardship. The Bible even uses royal language, dominion. All of humanity has a responsibility to live a godly stewardship in this world, to love this creation as God loves us and the universe. One of my favorite metaphors for this responsibility of humanity actually comes from N.T. Wright. He says that humanity's purpose is to serve as an angled mirror. Humanity reflects God to the creation, and humanity reflects the creation back to God. What an amazing plan. What a radical vision. What an amazing honor has been paid to humanity. Unfortunately, that ideal commission didn't quite take. Instead of... Humanity reflecting God to creation and creation back to God. Humanity desired to reflect the world to ourselves. We decided that we know what's best. We want to do things our way in a way that benefits us rather than take God's instruction for how we should live and move and work and find purpose. Humanity decided the great blessings that God has provided for us can be used for us rather than creation power position wealth creativity we can use those to make a name for ourselves to define our own character and God is crushed the relationship God dreamed about is shattered in fact some theologians call God the first divorcee God was the first one to lose a covenant partner Several years ago, Daniel and I would play uh, NCAA football uh, game on the PlayStation, and he came to me one day, and he was absolutely furious. Uh, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I just created this character in the game. He was great. I, I made him fast and strong and athletic, and I even named him Daniel Wallace. And I said, so what's the problem? He said... I tried to recruit him to play at my school, and he decided to go play football someplace else. I said, I mean, I created him, and he chose to play someplace else. He was furious. And I said, well, I guess you know a little how God felt back in Genesis. That doesn't help, by the way. That's not pastoral care at all in that moment. But it was was a wonderful moment for me, though. I thought that was great. But thankfully... That's not the end of the story, the Bible story. It is the end of the parable. Um, But that's not the end of the story. The story of incarnation, the story of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, is one of reclaiming that vision God had in Genesis 1. It's a story of humanity finally having a way to live into that vocation that God had called us to from the very beginning. Now, finally... It's possible to orient that mirror correctly. Finally, we can reflect God to this world, and we can reflect this world back to God. And interestingly enough, God and humanity are not the only ones who are happy about this. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Creation has been waiting and waiting and waiting for humanity to finally live into that calling that god made for them and now finally that life is possible i think that as i think about a new beginning at mclean baptist with me that's my hope that through the love of christ this church finds ways to live creatively into that vision that god has for us that this church is a place that God truly fellowships with the people in a place that truly reflects God to the world around it. And this church reflects this people back to God. You see, we aren't just called to occupy space here. Salvation is not an event that marks an end. Salvation marks a beginning of a redemptive vocation. We have a transformative calling. We are not simply called to be teachers or architects or doctors. We are called to be transformative teachers and transformative architects and transformative doctors. We are called to look at this world and this creation and now by the power of Christ see and redeem the brokenness that we find with the gifts that God has given us. It is to go into all the world and reflect the divine into those places as teachers and doctors and architects and lawyers and accountants or wherever God has called us. We angle that mirror right as individuals, and we angle that mirror right as a congregation. You know, when I was an undergraduate, I developed a deep love of the prophets. In the Old Testament, it was in them I found the truth that God truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But one of the verses that shaped how I think about life in Christ was the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah provided the message of exactly what God was looking for from the people who wear the divine name. In Micah 6.8, the prophet asks, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That verse has had a profound impact on me for years. I think it's stuck with me so long because I've seen in so many ways the way the life of Christ has misrepresented. I've seen people over-spiritualize it, you know, imagining that to do God's work is such a nebulous and mysterious thing to have life in Christ. It's something that needs to be divined with special prayers or correct words or hidden knowledge. And then of course there's the temptation to to legalize life in Christ where we imagine that to do God's work is to conform to established patterns of specific, often very long-standing interpretations of dogma. Look, we must have life in Christ. Look at all the things we don't do. Well, there is certainly a place for rules, and there's certainly a place for God's mystical movement, but but I'm sorry to tell you that life in Christ is far more boring than that. It's far more ordinary. We might want it to be mysterious. We might want it to be special. We might want it to be magic words or special interpretations or, or even a list of rules, clear do's and don'ts that can define us and them, but But what does it mean to have life in Christ? What does it mean to creatively live into the vision that God had for humanity back in Genesis 1? What does it mean to bear God's image? Do justice. Walk humbly. Love mercy. That's it. That's the list. That's not a nebulous, over-spiritualized list, and that's not a legalistic list. That's a a boring, everyday, life-changing kind of list. Do justice. Walk humbly. Love kindly or love mercifully. Think about that, living in a way that does justice with humility and kind love. What a life that would be to live. What a kind of church that would be to attend. Imagine a community intent on doing justice with humility and kindness. When I think about those three words, I think about what three words would I love people to think about when they think about the word Christian. That's a good list, justice, humility, kindness, kindness if those were the first associations people made with the word Christian. And I'm forced to confess those are not the first three adjectives that I see associated with Christian most often in this world. Unfortunately, it has not been uncommon in the history of the church for Christians to sanction some pretty unjust, unkind things with a lack of humility. But you know, it wasn't always that way. One of my favorite stories from history comes from when the last non-Christian emperor of Rome then the Emperor Julian wanted to promote pagan religion back within the old Roman Empire. And he believed the old values, the old pagan religion, would, would keep the empire strong and keep it from dissolving. And so in a letter to one of his priests, he was complaining about the problem with these Christians. And he said, you know, the problem with these Christians is they take care of their own, and they also take care of people who are not their own. And then he said, therefore, let no one outdo us in good deeds. It's like, what a time when the reputation of the church was that they actually loved and cared for everyone, their own and not their own. And the only way Julian could think to beat those Christians was to outlove them. What a world that would be. Justice, humility, kindness. That's a calling we can live into. That's the calling God has for us. That is the calling humanity was created for. That's what it means to bear God's image in this world. May that be the person the world sees in each of us individually. And may that be the community that the world finds at McLean Baptist Church. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come again to you feeling unworthy of the challenges you set before us. Give us your eyes to see injustice Give us regard for the least of these in this world around us. Give us a heart that seeks that justice with humility and kindness. Help us, dear God, to seek your redemptive purposes in our lives in every situation that we encounter. May we all find a new beginning in Christ in all ways and honor you by the way we live. And when our spirit is hovering over the chaos of this world, God, help us to speak into that light, and love. Help us to speak into that justice and kindness and mercy. Help us to bring your creation, your good creation, to the chaos that we encounter in our lives and in this world. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.